We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 233 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, January 20th, 2022. It is a day on which one of the great mysteries, really in Washington, D.C. sports history, has grown even more mysterious. The mystery, who leaked the Bruce Allen emails? You know, Those emails from Bruce Allen, from his time as a Washington executive that ultimately cost John Gruden his job as Las Vegas Raiders head coach. As you may know, John Gruden is suing the NFL and its commissioner, Roger Goodell. Gruden is claiming that a, quote, malicious and orchestrated campaign, end quote, was used by the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell to destroy Gruden's career by leaking the old emails that included racist, misogynistic, and anti-gay language. Well, the NFL on Wednesday filed a motion asking a Nevada court to dismiss the lawsuit, which obviously is all about money. Uh, Gruden had more than six seasons remaining in his 10-year, $100 million contract. But for our purposes as Washington football team fans, the league now has formally denied leaking the emails. Gruden's contention is that the NFL leaked the Bruce Allen emails. The league says that it did not leak the Bruce Allen emails. Well, who did leak the Bruce Allen emails? Who leaked these Bruce Allen emails that reignited Washington's workplace misconduct scandal and brought Congress into the mix? Although we're still waiting on Congress to actually do something in this whole Washington workplace misconduct scandal situation. We'll see if Congress ever actually does anything. But is the NFL lying when it says that it did not leak the emails? And if the NFL, in fact, did not leak the emails, could it be, might it be, that the theory that many have had that Dan Snyder leaked the emails is true? Although, couldn't you argue that Dan Snyder leaking the emails is the NFL leaking the emails? He is an NFL owner. I don't know. This thing is complicated. All I know is we need to know at some point. We need to find out at some point who was the leaker. Who leaked 
these Bruce Allen emails. Someday, hopefully, we'll find out. Until then, hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Another cold winter storm kind of day in the nation's capital, but that's okay. The NFL's divisional round weekend is rapidly approaching. Four games over two days. The two NFC games feature three former Washington offensive assistants as head coaches. In case you haven't heard, uh, boy, the lamenting over Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur continues. I saw so much more of that on Wednesday, even though, right, I on Wednesday show, episode 232, gave you the fact-based truth about why Washington fans being so emotional over those three guys having been here misses out on some key context. I mean, yeah, those three guys were with Washington. And yeah, those three guys are all doing quite well as NFL head coaches. And yeah, our team has not been doing quite well for a really long time now. But it's not as simple as Washington should have hired all three guys to be their head coach, okay? Like there's a little more context to the entire thing than just that. Well, I did my part. You can hear my part on uh, Wednesday show, episode 232, in case you missed that. Coming up on this show, episode 233, I have plenty for you regarding our Washington football team, a key NFC East rival, the Philadelphia Eagles. They on Wednesday said that they are entering this offseason with the idea that Jalen Hurts is their starting quarterback. Okay, are we to believe that? Because if so, That is good news for Washington when it comes to it competing for a franchise quarterback this offseason. Speaking of that quest for the franchise quarterback, Rod Rivera says that Washington is in the midst of some internal research into what works best for acquiring franchise quarterbacks. I like that. In fact, we're going to do that ourselves. I have for you a deep dive into where and how you get what I call star franchise quarterbacks in NFL drafts, it's hard to find trends in free agency and trades with getting franchise quarterbacks because free agency and trades are so year to year, but we can find some patterns with NFL drafts. And so I'll get into that in just a bit. Also, I'm going to talk Wizards, a wild loss for them on Wednesday night, a 119-118 loss to the Brooklyn Nets at Capital One Arena. We had an official playing defense for the Nets on Wednesday night in a total WTF moment. Uh, Also, we had a report on Wednesday updating what's going on with the Wizards and Bradley Beal, who it doesn't look like will be accepting the Wizards' max contract extension offer and yet is not being traded by the Wizards prior to the upcoming NBA trade deadline. Uh, Okay, Uh, I'm also going to talk Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball, each team with an ACC road win. On Wednesday night, the Cavaliers won at Pitt 66-61. The Hokies won at NC State 62-59. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from J. Russell Fugit, son of former Washington, and yes, Dallas Cowboys tight end Gene Fugit, uh, writes Big Russ, with whom I went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. Why is Taylor Heineke not given consideration and discussion as a possible long-term option at quarterback, or at least the best option for 2022. He went 7-8 and eight as a starter in 2021. While his stats were bottom to middle of the pack, what could he do with another offseason and a whole training camp of reps as our QB1? What could he do with stronger number two and number three options in the passing game and a defense 
that get some more chances and better field position. Why can't we treat this as Big Tay's rookie year, in which case only Mac Jones did better? Why can't we be all in on Tay-Tay as our opening day QB for 2022 while sticking to our draft board, but prioritizing drafting a quarterback and continuing to build a roster that will sustain us far beyond 2022. With this approach, a year from now, we'll have complete clarity on Heineke, who we could likely re-sign relatively cheaply as quarterbacks go. 10-7 and will get us into the playoffs and could win the division. We weren't far away from that this year. Draft free agency, better COVID and injury luck, and hope the -the off-the-field crap dies down for once. Dare I say, we run it back with Tay. Uh, Russ, you make a very smart and reasoned case for Tay-Tay. A few points. So while, yes, the 2021 season was Taylor Heineke's first season in which he made multiple starts as an NFL quarterback, it wasn't his rookie season. This gets said a lot that, like, the 2021 season was the equivalent of Taylor Heineke's rookie season. Not really. He entered the 2021 season having already made two NFL starts, including one in the postseason. He entered the 2021 season having spent time with a bunch of other NFL teams, the Minnesota Vikings, the New England Patriots, the Houston Texans, the Carolina Panthers, and of course, Washington. Taylor Heineke, understand, entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent in 2015. It's now 2022, so it's not fair to actual rookies to call Heineke's 2021 season, even the equivalent of a rookie season. That said, I get the overall point, and I agree with the overall point that arriving at a full and definitive conclusion on what Taylor Heineke can be as an NFL quarterback off this season is wrong. He probably would slash will be better given more playing time and a better and healthier supporting cast. But the question is how much better? Heineke does have physical limitations, namely the arm strength and the height. And while those things aren't deal breakers, at least for me, they're not deal breakers, those things are challenges, especially the arm strength with him way too often not stepping into his throws. He too often throws off his back foot or throws with like one foot next to the other. And with the height, he does get balls batted down. Shorter quarterbacks can do just fine, but they need to be adept at finding throwing lanes. Heineke needs to work on that. But here's the thing. This whole Washington quarterback situation to me isn't a zero-sum game. Like, I don't think that this has to be, nor should be, an offseason in which Washington settles on just one potential franchise quarterback. Until Washington has itself a true franchise quarterback, Washington should be taking every reasonable swing possible at getting it a franchise quarterback. And so taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft doesn't necessarily disqualify Taylor Heineke from ultimately being Washington's franchise quarterback. First of all, you need at least two quarterbacks on your roster who you can trust and feel reasonably good about starting. Second of all, who knows what happens with the first round quarterback should Washington take a quarterback in the first round. Maybe the guy gets hurt Maybe the guy is a bust. The point, Washington this offseason can take a quarterback in the first round of the draft while also still developing Taylor Heineke as a quarterback. There's no rule that says that Washington can't simultaneously be grooming both, say, Kenny Pickett and Taylor Heineke and just see what happens. Now, of course, if Washington, say, trades for Russell Wilson or trades for Derek Carr, 
Well, that's a different story. But specific to drafting a quarterback, that doesn't necessarily mean that Taylor Heineke is done as a potential Washington QB1, if not as a potential franchise quarterback, however unlikely that may be. And I'll say this too, I do not think that Taylor Heineke has started his last game for Washington. If I had to bet money right now on whether Heineke will ever start a game for Washington again, I would put my money on him starting for Washington again at some point for some reason. And who knows what would happen then? Email from Jeff Marshall on what happens to NFL players when they are on their team's reserve injured list. Writes Jeff, hey Al, I've never really understood protocol for when a player is injured and how much he is around the team. Sometimes you see certain injured players on the sideline helping the team, a la Richard Sherman wearing a headset one game that was extreme. But then you have situations like Chase Young and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Those guys should be on milk cartons. Aren't the players still getting paid? Wouldn't you want them in your position group meetings and adding their insights to the game plans. As a fan, just seeing your injured stars on the sideline makes you feel like they are still a part of the team and adding value in some way. I'm sure there are protocols and even rules with the NFL Players Association, but if I were Mr. Snyder and paying Ryan Fitzpatrick $10 million, I'd surely want his voice in the quarterback's room and not at home on his sofa. Can you add any insight. Well, thank you for the email, Jeff. And thank you for calling Dan Snyder, Mr. Snyder, because you know that's what he prefers. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Danny. Hello. Uh, So yeah, basically what an injured player does on a game day varies from player to player and situation to situation. In the cases of Chase Young and Ryan Fitzpatrick, my guess is that the team probably wanted those guys uh, off their legs and resting at home as opposed to standing on the sideline or even being with the team at the stadium because that would require those guys to be moving around to at least some degree, right? I mean, you have Chase coming off a torn right ACL. You have Ryan coming off the right hip subluxation. So while you're healing and rehabbing, don't be doing anything unnecessary in terms of moving around. It is quite possible that both Chase and Ryan participated in position group meetings, especially Ryan. I know that he was at the team facility as the season went on, so he may well have been sitting in on quarterbacks meetings. It's interesting, though, because Ryan Fitzpatrick really has become like a ghost, you know, save for those photos of him shirtless at the Buffalo Bills blowout of the New England Patriots in the wildcard game this past Saturday night. But the Washington football team on the Monday after Washington's 2021 season ended had a bunch of players do season-ending Zoom press conferences. We talked about some of those. Uh, Chase Young did one, in fact. But Ryan Fitzpatrick did not do one. Uh, I'm not sure why, but that to me was disappointing. It would have been nice to hear from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think it's going to be interesting to see what is next for him. I do wonder if he'll retire given his age, given the severity of this injury. Although you would think that this is not how he would like for his NFL career to end. I'll just say this. I am thankful that something that we never saw during Washington's 2021 season was Chase Young sitting in the owner's box with Dan Snyder. 
Raise your hand if that thought crossed your mind at some point in the 2021 season, because that thought crossed my mind at some point in the 2021 season. Uh, Chase Young sitting in the owner's box with Dan Snyder would have sounded off sirens, okay, especially with all of the stuff that was out there regarding, you know, Chase Young not adhering to the defensive scheme and Ron Rivera's cryptic comments regarding Chase Young not adhering to the defensive scheme and Chase Young not being more productive and guys needing to be more mature, etc. Chase Young sitting in the owner's box with Dan Snyder would have driven people crazy given Danny Boy's history of buddying up to star Washington players and then that buddying up causing problems. So yeah, at the very least, we had uh, the modest victory of it does not appear that Dan had Chase in the owner's box watching games. That's progress. That's growth, at least for our team. Well, do you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow? Does your brand need to improve its overall customer experience? Do you want to impress clients with the story that your business tells digitally? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company, and ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks is located in the DMV, but serves the entire country by utilizing a virtual approach with the latest video meeting software to engage, communicate, and share award-winning designs. So what's the offer? Well, ImageWorks doesn't want to sell you. ImageWorks wants to show you what it can do. And that starts with a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. ImageWorks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via ImageWorks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner. That's image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Also, you can call or text the owner of Imageworks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Scott is a big fan of the Washington football team, big fan of the Nationals. He's a regular listener of this podcast, and he loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. Trust me, he knows what he's doing. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. Well, we had an interesting and notable development in the NFC East on Wednesday. Philadelphia Eagles Executive Vice President and General Manager Howie Roseman in a State of the Eagles press conference said that the Eagles are entering this offseason with the mindset that Jalen Hurts is the Eagles' starting quarterback. Here was Roseman on Hurts on Wednesday. You know, we talk about Jalen and the growth he had, uh, really first-year starter, second-year player, uh, leading this team to the playoffs, um, tremendously impressed by his work ethic, his leadership. We talked, the last time we talked was during camp, and we said we wanted to see him take the bull by the horn, and uh, he certainly did that. 
Yeah, well, as long as Jalen Hurts didn't take the FedEx field railing by the horn, he was okay uh, this past Eagles season. Now, two things on Howie Roseman's endorsement of Jalen Hurts before we go any further. A, you can enter an offseason thinking one thing and then during the offseason change your thinking on that thing. B, NFL executives and coaches lie all of the time. So it is entirely possible that Roseman totally is looking to upgrade at quarterback for the Eagles this offseason and only said what he said on Wednesday so as not to come off like he is totally looking to upgrade at quarterback for the Eagles this offseason. You know, one thing about what the Washington football team is doing is that it is making it crystal clear that the team is looking to upgrade at quarterback this offseason. Ron Rivera isn't exactly holding his cards close to the vest in terms of trying to conceal Washington's true intent at quarterback this offseason. Everyone on the planet knows that Washington is all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. You know, not exactly the best negotiating tactic, although I don't know that Ron realistically could be fooling anyone uh, were he to act like Washington maybe possibly wasn't looking to be all in on a franchise quarterback this offseason. But personally, I don't take what Howie Roseman said on Wednesday as gospel. Maybe he meant what he said on Wednesday. Maybe he didn't. But you know what? It almost doesn't matter because it's not like what he said on Wednesday is legally binding. I, as a Washington football team fan, am not removing the Eagles from consideration in terms of the Eagles potentially being in competition with Washington in the quarterback market this offseason. I think that it is entirely possible that the Eagles will be in competition with Washington in the quarterback market this offseason. But it is more than plausible that the Eagles do end up running it back with Jalen Hurts as QB1 for the 2022 season. I mean, Jalen Hurts is not bad. He isn't great, but he's not bad, and he's young, and he could get a lot better. Now, it's debatable whether he'll ever be great, but he has talent, and he can be great in any given game. See what he did in Washington's two losses to the Eagles this season. The 27-17 loss at the Eagles in Week 15. Washington allowed Hurts to go 20 of 26 for 296 yards. That's 11.38 yards per pass attempt. A touchdown and an interception. And Washington allowed Hurts to have eight carries for 38 yards and two touchdowns. Washington did sack Hurts three times, but whatever. Jalen Hurts torched Washington in Week 15, and then Jalen Hurts torched Washington in Week 17. The 2016 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field. Washington in that game allowed Hurts to go 17 of 26 for 214 yards. That's 8.23 yards per pass attempt. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Washington sacked Hurts just once, and Washington allowed Hurts to have seven carries for 44 yards, 6.29 yards per carry. But here's maybe the biggest thing. If, and again, this is an if, but if the Eagles are sticking with Hurts as their QB1, Washington doesn't have to worry about what the Eagles might do in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. The Eagles have three first round picks in the 2022 draft, numbers 15, 16, and 19. The Eagles have the capital to make a trade up to take a quarterback if that's not happening, that's a good thing for Washington. Now, maybe the Eagles use those three first-round picks to trade for Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. Who knows? But if the Eagles are running it back with Hurts, that's good news for Washington from a standpoint of one less team with which to compete in the quarterback market 
this offseason. And so we now await what the New York Giants will do at quarterback. Uh, They need a general manager. They need a head coach. And they have to decide on whether to exercise the fifth-year option in Daniel Jones's rookie contract. And if the Giants do not exercise the fifth-year option in Jones's rookie contract, well, then that is a telltale sign that the Giants are in the market for a quarterback this offseason. The Dallas Cowboys are the only team in the NFC East with quarterback certainty right now. Speaking of the quarterback market, what should Washington and we as Washington fans be aware of in terms of how to get a star franchise quarterback? Well, it turns out that Ron Rivera has the Washington football team doing some internal research on this. We're going to do some research of our own. What is the best way to acquire a star franchise quarterback in today's NFL? I'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so with the Washington football team's offseason now in full swing, we aren't hearing from Ron Rivera much, but we will be hearing from him occasionally. And Ron on Tuesday was interviewed by Scott Abraham, sports anchor for ABC 7 News in Washington, D.C., the host of Sports Talk on WJLA 24-7 News. I actually had Scott on the podcast a few weeks ago episode 222. Now, Ron, in his conversation with Scott, repeated a lot of the talking points that Ron has been giving us. Uh, Ron, again, emphasized the need for Washington players to be more mature. Boy, Ron has been talking up the need for his players to be more mature for a long time now. Uh, Ron again said that it's time for Washington to start to take a big step forward. And Ron talked a lot about Washington's search for a franchise quarterback, including reiterating the four obvious ways in which Washington can attack the quarterback position this offseason. Players already on the roster, free agency, trades, and the NFL draft. Again, all of these things are things 
that Ron has said. However, something that stuck out to me was Ron referencing research that the Washington football team is doing on how NFL teams acquire franchise quarterbacks. Now, something that we all know is that, generally speaking, the best way for an NFL team to get a franchise quarterback is through the NFL draft. That's how most teams get their franchise quarterbacks. Stud quarterbacks on rookie contracts are the holy grail of the NFL. But this was Ron Rivera on the research that the Washington football team is doing on teams getting franchise quarterbacks in NFL drafts. When you look at the draft, who's gotten them where? Okay, how do they get there? Where were they taken in the draft? That's the other thing you got to look at too. You know, and, and the guy that blows everything out of the water is Tom Brady, sixth round. Now look at where he is. Yep. You know, um, the other stats that are important that you, when you look at it is that most of the of the of the Super Bowls are won by guys that eventually become Super Bowl champions and um, and end up as Hall of Famers. Um, if you have a first time quarterback in the Super Bowl and he's playing against a guy that's already won a Super Bowl, he loses. Um, when you have two non Super Bowl uh, pre before previous Super Bowl guys. Uh, obviously somebody wins. Um, so that's the, you know, there's a lot of things that you hope you, you, you have a guy that's going to come up against a guy that's never been to a Super Bowl. So now you got a better chance than, than 50, 50. So it's, you know, it's, it's all those things that, that you look at. I mean, those are the interesting things that we're look we've seen. I mean, when you break it all down, yeah. Scott, there's a lot of interesting information and we're trying to find the right information that tells the story and helps point the direction we need to go. All right, so some of that was a little confusing. Uh, a good bit of that was just Ron filibustering, okay, and saying a bunch of words, but not really saying anything. But Ron began that cut by saying, quote, when you look at the draft, who's gotten them where? How did they get there? Where were they taken in the draft? End quote. So what seems clear is that part of the process in Washington's quest for a franchise quarterback is internal research that's going on right now regarding what works, i.e. is there a tendency with where franchise quarterbacks are taken in NFL drafts. Uh, The Washington football team does have analytics people. Ron Rivera has referenced research that he has had his analytics people do, so I would not be surprised at all if Ron has tasked the Washington football team's analytics people to look into, okay, what works when it comes to trying to get a franchise quarterback, where do franchise quarterbacks tend to be taken in NFL drafts, etc.? Well, let's do our own research right now. Let's do the work that the Washington football team presumably is doing on our own right now. Ron, you can thank us later. So by my count, there are 13 what I will call star franchise quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And by star franchise quarterbacks, I don't just mean franchise quarterbacks necessarily. I mean quarterbacks who are really good and who are, without hesitation, considered to be playoff caliber quarterbacks, i.e. quarterbacks capable of leading and even carrying teams into postseasons. If there's any doubt with a quarterback, I don't include him as a star franchise quarterback. So I'm not including Ryan Tannehill I'm not including Matt Ryan. I'm not including Kirk Cousins. I'm not including 
Carson Wentz. I'm not including Baker Mayfield because there's reasonable debate with each of those guys whether he's very good. You know, capable is not very good. Decent is not very good. Even good is not very good. Now, I could go either way with my guy, Kirk, in terms of whether he is a star franchise quarterback. But what I wanted to do was identify the true top flight quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And for the purposes of clarity, you can't be a franchise quarterback and not be a star franchise quarterback. Kirk is a franchise quarterback, but he's not necessarily a star franchise quarterback. You know, he's not necessarily in the top 10 to 13 at the quarterback position. You can make the case that he is, but it's not a slam dunk. And to me, if it's not a slam dunk, then I'm not going to include the guy in this batch of quarterbacks. So the 13 star franchise quarterbacks in the NFL right now, to me, in order of entry into the NFL are Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. Now, I recognize with some of those guys, there's a lack of a body of work, especially with Burrow and Herbert, but I don't think that it's a stretch to say that Burrow and Herbert are going to prove to be franchise quarterbacks. And bottom line, we as Washington fans, without hesitation, would take any of the 13 quarterbacks who I just mentioned right now as our starting quarterback. There would be no debate. The goal for Washington this offseason with this quest for the franchise quarterback is to get a star franchise quarterback. You know, not just someone capable of being the starter for multiple seasons playing at a decent level, but someone capable of being the starter for multiple seasons playing at a high level. This is what we're talking about when we talk about Washington needing to aim high at the quarterback position. So let's look at where each of the current 13 star franchise quarterbacks went in his NFL draft. Tom Brady, of course, sixth round of the 2000 NFL draft. Aaron Rodgers, number 24 overall in the 2005 draft. Matthew Stafford, number one overall in the 2009 draft. Russell Wilson, third round in the 2012 draft. Derek Carr, second round in the 2014 draft. Dak Prescott, fourth round in the 2016 draft. Patrick Mahomes, number 10 overall in the 2017 draft. Deshaun Watson, number 12 overall in the 2017 draft. Josh Allen, number seven overall in the 2018 draft. Lamar Jackson, number 32 overall in the 2018 draft. Kyler Murray, number one overall in the 2019 draft. Joe Burrow, number one overall in the 2020 draft. Justin Herbert, number six overall in the 2020 draft. So of the 13 star franchise quarterbacks in the NFL right now, nine were first-round picks. Four were non-first-round picks. Now, let's drill a little deeper. Let's look only at those current star franchise quarterbacks who have entered the NFL within the last five years, so since the 2017 draft. Because the truth is, things in the NFL beyond three to five years lose relevance because of the evolving nature of the NFL. And, you know, especially with Tom Brady, I mean, he was drafted 22 years ago. He's the ultimate outlier, a sixth round pick who became the greatest player 
in NFL history. So when people say, well, you can find a franchise quarterback anywhere. Look at Tom Brady, sixth round, 2000 draft. It's like, yeah. That's also like the most extreme example of anything in the history of extreme examples, okay? So it's like, all right, take out the outlier and look at recent NFL history. So let's look at the last five NFL drafts. If we just look at those star franchise quarterbacks who have entered the NFL within the last five years, those guys are Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. Seven quarterbacks, every single one of them was a first round pick. The first round is the only round that has produced star franchise NFL quarterbacks over the last five years. There was a nice run from 2012 through 2016 of non-first round quarterbacks becoming good, if not great quarterbacks, you know, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott. But we really haven't had any of that for five years now. Now, perhaps someone like Davis Mills ends up being good. The Houston Texans took Davis Mills in the third round of the 2021 NFL draft. He, in the 2021 regular season, played in 13 games with 11 starts for the Texans. He did all right. Uh, So maybe he becomes more than just a nice backup quarterback. But for now, every star franchise NFL quarterback who entered the league within the last five years did so as a first-round pick. Lamar Jackson almost wasn't a first-round pick, but he ended up being a first-round pick. Ravens took him with the last pick in the first round of the 2018 draft. So as we're doing the Washington football team's research right now, as we're doing the work for the team right now, Dan Snyder should put us on payroll. The first major conclusion is that if you're going to get a star franchise quarterback in an NFL draft, he almost certainly needs to be worthy of a first-round pick. If he's flawed enough to where he isn't a first-round pick, then chances are he won't end up being a star franchise quarterback. And note, I'm not speaking in absolutes because there's always a chance for just about anything. And it's not like there's zero precedence for non-first-round quarterbacks becoming star franchise quarterbacks. So that now brings us to the next phase of our research. And that phase is, well, what about taking quarterbacks in first rounds of NFL drafts? And unfortunately, the answer is that the hit rate on quarterbacks in first rounds of NFL drafts is pretty bad. Let's look at every NFL draft since 2010, okay? So we'll go back a decade plus here, 2010 through 2021. There were 38 quarterbacks taken in first rounds of NFL drafts from 2010 through 2021. I put each of those quarterbacks into one of three categories, hit, miss, and mixed. Hit means that the guy ended up being at least a good quarterback, even if not with his original team. Miss means that the guy was a bust or at the very least didn't work out. Mixed means that the guy was so-so or was both really good and really bad, or that it's just too early to tell with the guy. By my count, of the 38 quarterbacks taken in first rounds of NFL drafts since 2010, there have been just 11 hits. Yes, just 11 hits out of 38 first-round quarterbacks since 2010. And as you'll see, I'm rather generous with a few of the hits, but I have 11 quarterbacks who are hits, 18 quarterbacks who are misses, 
and nine quarterbacks who have been mixed. So the record with first-round quarterbacks over the last 12 NFL drafts is a mere 11, 18, and 9. My 11 hits in alphabetical order are Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Andrew Luck, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, and yes, I'm being generous in counting Baker Baker, the touchdown maker, as a hit, but I'm doing this in part to make a point. Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, Ryan Tannehill, and yes, you certainly could argue that I'm being generous in counting him as a hit, and Deshaun Watson. So even when being overly generous, I count just 11 hits out of 38 first-round quarterbacks over the last 12 NFL drafts. Now to the misses, of which there are 18. Are you ready for these? Sam Bradford, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Blaine Gabbert, Robert Griffin III, Dwayne Haskins, E.J. Manuel, Johnny Manziel, Jake Locker, Paxton Lynch, Marcus Mariota, Christian Ponder, Josh Rosen, Tim Tebow, Mitchell Trubisky, Brandon Whedon, Jameis Winston. 18 first round quarterback misses over the last 12 NFL drafts. And then the eight first round quarterbacks since 2010 who have been mixed or for whom it's just too early to tell. Jared Goff, Daniel Jones, Jordan Love, Tua Tungavailoa, Carson Wentz, and then the four first-round quarterbacks from the 2021 NFL Draft. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. Uh, Three of those four guys had really bad rookie seasons. The only guy who had anything close to a good rookie season was Mac Jones. So yeah, even if you want to quibble with some of my classifications, the overall hit rate on taking quarterbacks in first rounds of NFL drafts isn't good. By my count, it's 11, 18, and 9 over the last 12 NFL drafts. That works out to a hit rate of just 37.9%. And like I said, that's with me being generous because I included both Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill as hits. If I put those guys in the category of, say, mixed, the overall record is 9, 18, and 11. So our two conclusions. Number one, if you're going to get a star franchise quarterback in an NFL draft, he almost certainly needs to be worthy of a first-round pick. Number two, the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks is only a little better than one out of three. That's it. Whatever research that's going on internally for the Washington football team right now, this is what the team should be arriving at in terms of its conclusions. And so while the 2022 NFL draft may be the most viable path by which our Washington football team can get a franchise quarterback this offseason, depending on the availability of veteran franchise quarterbacks, even the draft is far, and I mean far from a sure thing, especially considering that Washington only has the number 11 
overall pick. Although, how about this? If you average the draft positions for the seven-star franchise quarterbacks taken in NFL drafts over the last five years, do you know what draft spot that you get? Number 10. That's not number 11, but it is close. I said, that's not number 11, but it is close. It means you're close. Yes. Thank you, Bruce Allen. See, we at least have that going for us. Well, crazy game for the Wizards on Wednesday night. The Wizards fell to 23-22 and with a 119-118 loss to the Brooklyn Nets at Capital One Arena. The Wizards in the game never led after the first quarter, and their largest lead in the game was a mere one-point lead in the first quarter. But the Wizards trimmed a 13-point fourth-quarter deficit to one in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 32-22. Kyle Kuzma and Spencer Dinwiddie each missed a three in the closing second. So this very much could have been a dramatic Wizards win. There also was controversy in the game. One of the stranger things that you'll ever see. So with less than six minutes left in the fourth quarter and the Wizards trailing 109-103, a Nets assistant coach deflected a Spencer Dinwiddie pass intended for Kyle Kuzma for a Wizards turnover, and the officials called nothing. Yes, a Nets assistant coach stuck out his left hand either on purpose or inadvertently and deflected a Dinwiddie pass toward Kuzma in the left corner, and the result was a Wizards turnover. No whistle. Now, crew chief Ben Taylor, after the game, told a pool reporter that the officials did not see the Nets assistant coach deflect the pass and that there was no mechanism in place by which that play could be reviewed. Now, look, it's not like the play cost the Wizards the game, but that was a ridiculous blown call by the officials. Here was the Wizards acting head coach, Joseph Blair, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night. You asked me if he may have touched it. There's no may have. He did. My reaction was utter disbelief. I've never seen in my very long time in basketball something happen like that that the referees didn't see. Um, everyone's, no one's perfect and the mistakes will be made. I get that. But I think in a game like this with uh, the bench conduct being a, code of, uh, a point of emphasis this year, that it's, it's very hard to swallow them missing something like that for me. Um, I do understand that regardless there's tons of things we could have done better in the game, and it should have never came down to us complaining about something like that. But I will say that, you know, this is the best league in the world. They have to be better than that. And nothing against that referee, quite frankly. I think he's a good referee and a really good person. Um, just, you know, I'm, I was just kind of in, in disbelief. Like I said, I've never seen nothing like that ever. And to be standing there as a head coach to try to deal with it at the time was kind of like... Oh my gosh, did I really just see that? <laughs> yeah, that really was ridiculous. Uh, Joseph Blair, by the way, did serve as acting Wizards head coach for a second consecutive game as the Wizards were down to their third string head coach for a second consecutive game. The team's 
actual head coach, Wes Unsell Jr., for a third consecutive game, did not serve as Wizards head coach due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Assistant coach Pat Delaney, who had served as acting head coach for the Wizards in their 115-110 loss to the Portland Trailblazers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night, was out for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Nets were without their best player, Kevin Durant. He's out right now. Uh, the product of Montrose Christian School in Rockville, Maryland, is dealing with a left MCL sprain. But boy, the Nets did not miss Kevin Durant in the first half. The Wizards got torched in the first half. The Wizards in the first half allowed the Nets to score 74 points. The Wizards in the first half allowed the Nets to go 4 of 10 on threes and 25 of 36 on twos. The Wizards in the first half allowed Kyrie Irving to score 22 points. The Wizards in the first half allowed LaMarcus Aldridge to score 19 points. Now, some of this was just really good Nets players being really good, but, you know, this was another half of basketball in which the Wizards' defense was far from stellar. And this has been an issue for the Wizards really since their 10 and 3 start to the season. Their defense has waned. The defense was such a strength during the 10 and 3 start to the season. The defense has not been a strength for months now. But the Wizards in the second half did play better defense. The Wizards in the second half held the Nets to just 45 points and just 415 on threes. Now, the Wizards uh, did struggle on threes again. The Wizards went just 10 of 29 on threes, did go 31 of 57 on twos. Spencer Dinwiddie and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope each went just one of six on threes. Bradley Beal did have a good night on threes. He went three of seven on threes, but he went just four of 11 on twos and had a game-worst plus-minus rating of minus 11. But Beal also finished with 23 points, nine assists, versus one turnover, four rebounds, and two steals in 36 minutes, 36 seconds as a starter. So Beal did plenty of good things on Wednesday night. But with Bradley Beal, we had a significant report out there on Wednesday. So the NBA trade deadline is coming up. The NBA trade deadline is on February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst in a piece that came out on Wednesday, addressed what the Wizards have been doing regarding Bradley Beal as we approach the NBA trade deadline. Remember, the Wizards in October offered Bradley Beal a max contract extension, and he has yet to accept that offer. And Bradley Beal, as most of you know, can opt out of his current contract this summer. So Bradley Beal can up and leave the Wizards this coming offseason. Writes Brian Windhorse, quote, Beal has made it clear he doesn't plan to sign an extension and likely will skip his player option. That would make some teams nervous, but to this point, there has been no real discussion of Beal on the trade market, league executives said. The Wizards are preparing to roll the dice with the belief that Beal will re-sign. A primary reason Beal isn't extending now is because with such a contract, he could fashion a four-year deal worth $181 million. If he opts out and signs a totally new agreement, the Wizards can offer five years and $241 million. If he were to leave to go to another team this summer, his max deal would be four years and $179 million dollars. In short, if Beal is prioritizing guaranteed money, he has a $60 million incentive to stay. That reality and the team's apparent willingness to eventually present a full five-year offer has led to a measure of calm within the organization about Beal's intentions. However, that does not mean there isn't risk 
to manage. End quote. So it's a little confusing because Windhorse says that Beal, quote, likely will skip his player option, end quote. That reads to me like Beal will not be opting out of his contract, but then you read the piece and it sure sounds like Beal will be opting out of his contract. So I'm not sure about the verbiage there from Windhorst. But here's the deal. Tommy Shepard, the Wizards president and general manager, has earned a benefit of the doubt. I think he's done a really nice job over these last few years. So if he's content with not trading Bradley Beal by the February 10th NBA trade deadline because Shepard feels confident that, yes, while Beal may opt out of his contract this summer, the Wizards ultimately are going to end up re-signing Beal. Okay, you better be right on that, though. All right? Because the nightmare scenario of the Wizards not trading Bradley Beal by the February 10th NBA trade deadline, and then him upping and leaving the Wizards this summer as an unrestricted free agent would be a horror show, okay? And would be one of the greatest screw-ups in Washington, D.C. player personnel history. And that's quite a thing to say, because there have been plenty of massive screw-ups in Washington, D.C. sports history when it comes to player personnel screw-ups. But Tommy Shepard, to me, does deserve a benefit of the doubt. He's done a lot of good things over the last few years. So if this is the way that he's managing this Bradley Beal situation, all right. I mean, financially, the numbers are pretty clear. Bradley Beal, if he wants to maximize his value, would be best to opt out this summer, regardless of how he feels about the Wizards, and then either re-sign with the Wizards or figure out something else with another team. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be that Beal would leave the Wizards as an unrestricted free agent. It might be a sign-and-trade scenario, but if you follow the NBA, you know these sign-and-trades never net the teams getting rid of the superstars' uh, equal value for those superstars. I also would throw this into the mix. Let's say the plan is for Bradley Beal to opt out and then just re-sign with the Wizards with a five-year, $241 million deal. I mean, (laughs) is Bradley Beal worth a five-year, $241 million contract? You know, I mean, Bradley Beal is a good player. I think he's a really good player. But to me, he's not an elite player. He's an elite scorer, although he has not been an elite scorer this season, although you also can say, well, he hasn't had to be an elite scorer this season. But five years, $241 million. The Wizards have just gotten out of both the John Wall and Russell Westbrook Supermax contract extensions. Uh, Why are you doing now one with Bradley Beal? Five years, $241 million, when he hasn't led you to anything in his NBA career. And, you know, I like Bradley Beal. I think there's a lot to like about Bradley Beal, but he's not an elite NBA player. He's not someone who carries you to 50 wins and to multiple series victories in NBA playoffs season in and season out. And so if he's not one of those guys, what are you doing giving him a five-year, $241 million contract? So we shall see, but this is where we are right now with Bradley Beal. And it certainly doesn't look like the Wizards will be trading him come that February 10th NBA trade deadline. There actually has been some stuff out there about the Wizards potentially trading away Montrez Harrell because he's set to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. And the Wizards do have guys who play Montrez Harrell's position like Rui Hachimura. And Rui Hachimura on Wednesday night was good for a second consecutive game. Rui in 1645 off the bench, two of four on threes, three of five on twos. He finished with 14 points 
and five rebounds. Denny Avdia was good off the bench as well. 22-53 for him off the bench. Two or three on threes, two or four on twos. He finished with 13 points, five rebounds, and three assists versus no turnovers. This off Denny basically being out of the Wizards rotation in their previous game, the 117-98 win over the Philadelphia 76ers at Capital One Arena on Monday afternoon. Now, speaking of that game, it was interesting in that game, you had Davies Bertans being a DNPCD. He, for that game, was back from a one-game absence caused by a left midfoot sprain, but did not play due to a coach's decision. You also had in that game Daniel Gafford barely playing as a starter. He played for just 8 minutes, 28 seconds as a starter, though he did deal with foul trouble as he committed four fouls. Well, interesting stuff with both Davies Bertans and Daniel Gafford on Wednesday night. Uh, Bertans played for just 8-16 off the bench. Uh, Davies Bertans has gotten buried here over these last two games with Joseph Blair serving as the Wizards acting head coach. And Daniel Gafford on Wednesday night played for just 12 minutes, 23 seconds as a starter. And unlike on Monday afternoon, Gafford was not dealing with foul trouble on Wednesday night. Daniel Gafford, in fact, committed no fouls on Wednesday night. So it's not like foul trouble was the reason for him not playing much as a starter, but uh, that stood out. Daniel Gafford, a mere 12-23 as a starter on Wednesday night. And Davies Bertans, a man who the Wizards re-signed in November 2020 to a five-year, $80 million contract. DNPCD on Monday afternoon, played for just 8 minutes, 16 seconds off the bench on Wednesday night. Next up for the Wizards, home to the Toronto Raptors, Friday night at 8. Well, we had a very good Wednesday night for college basketball in the Commonwealth of Virginia as both Virginia and Virginia Tech won on the road. We'll begin with Wahoo of uh, Virginia improved to 11 and 7 overall and 5 and 3 in the ACC with a 66-61 win at Pitt on Wednesday night. Uh, the Cavaliers led for most of the second half, held on for the victory. The Cavs defense was really good. Cavs held Pitt to just one of six on threes for the entire game. Pitt went one of six on threes for the entire game. This was like a game straight out of 1992. Uh, the Cavs forced 15 turnovers and outscored Pitt in terms of points off turnovers. 21-11, the Cavs committed just nine turnovers. Now, the Cavs did allow Pitt to go 20-36 on twos and did have some trouble defending without fouling as Pitt went 18-22 on free throws. The Cavs went 8-12 on free throws, but hard to complain a lot about the Cavs' defense on Wednesday night. Uh, it is much easier to complain about the Cavs' offense. Uh, the Cavs are not a good offensive team. We continue to see that on Wednesday night, the Wahoos went just four of 17 on threes, did go 23 of 37 on twos, and did overcome some adversity in this game. The Who's won despite both of their centers, the seven foot one big man, Francisco Cafaro, and the 6'11 big man, Caden Shedrick, fouling out of the game. Head coach Tony Bennett, in fact, played just seven players the entire game. But those guys were good enough to get the job done. Reese Beekman was really good on Wednesday night. He went three of five on threes, five of six on twos, finished with 19 points, eight assists versus two turnovers, three rebounds and two blocks in 38-13 as a starter. The East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, five of nine from the field, all twos. He finished with 14 points, four rebounds, three assists versus one turnover in 35-29 as a starter. Next up for Virginia at NC State, Saturday afternoon at four, as the Cavs will try to do what Virginia Tech did on Wednesday night, win 
at NC State. The Hokies improved to 10-7 and overall and 2-4 and in the ACC with a 62-59 win at NC State. So Virginia Tech now has won two consecutive games off an 0-4 start in the ACC. The Hokies began the game on a 19-2 run Never trailed in the game, although the game did get close. So this was almost a nasty loss for Virginia Tech. The Hokies allowed a 14-point second-half lead to get trimmed to one point at 60-59 with 20.3 seconds left in the second half. But 6-1 freshman Sean Padula went 2-2 on free throws with 12.4 seconds left in the second half to give the Hokies a 62-59 lead. And that ended up being the final score. Tech held NC State to just 8-27 on threes. Uh, now, Tech went to 7-24 on threes, but Tech also went 19-29 on twos, outscored NC State in the paint 34-22. Tech did commit 17 turnovers to NC State's nine, and Tech did win despite a rough game for one of Tech's better players, Naheem Aline. Uh, he, in 32 minutes as a starter on Wednesday night, just two and nine on threes, just one of five on twos, and he had no assists versus five turnovers. Uh, that's a rough game right there. Justin Mutz was good for the Hokies. One of one on threes, five of seven on twos. He finished with 13 points, nine rebounds, including four offensive boards, four assists versus four turnovers, and two blocks in 33 minutes as a starter. Keve Aluma, 0 of 1 on threes, 5 of 6 on twos. He finished with 10 points and 11 rebounds in just 28 minutes as a starter, though we also had one assist versus three turnovers. But what looked like a potentially rough season for Virginia Tech, all of a sudden is looking much better. Next up for Tech at Boston College, Saturday at noon. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 234, will feature a special guest to talk Washington football team, pro football-focused senior data analyst, Nick Ackridge. He's a big Washington football team fan. He is very much involved in the grading of Washington football team players. When you hear and read about Washington players' PFF grades, Nick Ackridge plays a major role in computing those grades. So we'll discuss Washington's 2021 season and 2022 offseason with PFF senior data analyst Nick Ackridge. Also on Friday's show, I'll postgame the Capitals and Georgetown. The Caps will be at the Boston Bruins Thursday night at 7. By the way, Caps defenseman Dimitri Orloff on Wednesday was suspended for two games without pay for kneeing a Winnipeg Jets player in the Caps' last game, the 4-3 overtime win over the Jets at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. The Hoyas will be at number 21 Providence Thursday evening at 5. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. It means you're close. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.